Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Breakfast with Boz, being served by Wahoo. I am your host, Ian Boswell. My nephew Sloan is smirking at me, watching me record this little intro. My wife is viciously eating her pancakes. <laughs> and we're having a good time. We are eating some apple cottage cheese pancakes. We picked some apples the other day. They're very tart, so not quite eating apples, but they turned out quite delicious in this pancake. Gretchen has slathered her pancakes up with butter and maple syrup. I went with peanut butter and maple syrup, and Sloan went with Nutella and maple syrup. Sloan, should I give Nutella and maple syrup a try on my next go around? Definitely. Well, there we have it, some breakfast. The last cakes are being flipped, and it's time for another episode of Breakfast with Boz. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode, Breakfast with Boz, being served by Wahoo. In the episode today, I am joined by the one and only Lael Wilcox, talking about the recently launched film and bike pack route in Bogota, Colombia, Ruta Chingaza, which you can find on Wahoo's YouTube channel. This is a 420-kilometer route with 9,600 meters of climbing, an incredibly beautiful loop, an incredibly beautiful film, and I have a great conversation with Lael talking about some of the inner workings of how this project came about, what it means to her, and what this film hopes to accomplish. Beyond just a bike pack trip and an FKT done by Lael after the bike pack trip was over, this film is about the land around Bogota. Lael and her bikepacking buddies partnered with Conservation International to make sure to make a route that connects the city of Bogota with their water source up at the Chingaza National Park. This film really hits home for a lot of us in this day and age where so many things around us are changing, fires in California, a global pandemic. This film reminds us to connect with the world around us and Lael and this film do just that. Before we dive into my conversation with Lael on a slightly lighter and funnier note, there is a link in this podcast description to a survey where you can share your spooky endurance stories if you're a cyclist, a runner, kayaker, swimmer, it does not matter. I would love to hear your spooky stories for a special episode of Breakfast with Boz coming out at the end of this month. So if you have a spooky story, here's the place to share it. I'll get in touch with you and we can podcast around Halloween for a special episode of Breakfast with Boz. But now let's jump into my conversation with Lael Wilcox talking about Ruta Chingaza. Today, I am finally joined by Lael Wilcox. We are talking about the Ruta Chingaza. Lael, thank you for joining me. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Ian. Well, I have just watched the new short film. I guess it's a, not a short film, a medium-length film, the Ruta Chingaza. And before we um, kind of really dive into it, can you just give me a little bit of background on how this whole project came about? Oh, absolutely. So we were in touch with Logan Watts from bikepacking.com 
last December, I think. And it was, he, he reached out to us and asked if we wanted to be part of a project with himself, a team from bikepacking.com, and then a team from Conservation International. And the whole idea was to travel down to Colombia and then design a bikepacking loop that would start and end in Bogota, Colombia, the biggest city, and then go from from the city out to the country and out to nature and actually connect where their water source is from. And I'd never been in South America. And I thought, wow, this sounds really neat. And I've been involved in projects for route building in the past, but to add that conservation element to it, I was like, this is fantastic. You know, it's like you see the bike as a way to learn about the world, which it already is in so many ways. So we said, yeah, let's, let's do it. And then I think it was about six weeks later, we were on a plane to Columbia and to go kind of set this up. And I had no idea the direction this would take, but it was like, okay, we want to go down there. We want to make a route for people in the future that'll take them about a week to tour. And during that week, they'll learn all about this place and the people and kind of what the land looks like, what the threats are and and what we can do to uh, protect it. Well, that's what I found so cool in watching this film. Because I've seen other things you've done, you know, with Tour Divide and other projects. And I was anticipating like very heavily, you know, bike pack focused kind of content. You're on bikes, but it's so much bigger than just cycling. And Bogota is a huge city. I didn't realize 10 million people. And, you know, in the beginning of the film, then they're talking about, you know, you ask people where water comes from and they say, oh, it comes from the, the faucet. Well, that's, you know, pretty, that's what most people would respond with. But the fact that you think about how much water is consumed for 10 million people and the fact mm-hmm. that this bike route now allows people from the city, which, you know, Anyone who follows cycling knows that Colombia has a very rich and strong, you know, history of cycling. And, you know, when you look at professional racing, there's so many Colombians. You see that in the film, how popular bikes are in Colombia. But now all of a sudden people by bike are able to explore this route and kind of see like, wow, we're in this metropolitan area, but, you know, not that far away. This is how we get our water. And that seemed very, it was incredibly fascinating for me to see. I mean, it is really amazing. Really, their water source is like you you could ride there, I mean, within 30 miles, you know, and then the, I mean, the wild, the other wild thing about Colombia is that the terrain is just so steep and hilly and rugged that it's like, even though it's 30 miles away, it's like, that's like hours and hours of work and something you couldn't see from the city because it's like, you know, three, 4,000 feet higher and so many more thousand feet of climbing just to get there. Um, and then, I mean, that's why they're, you know, that's part of the reason why they're such amazing cyclists is because it's just relentless. You know, it's like you hardly get any just pedaling miles like ever. Uh, and then it's like, you're in this urban place, all these lights, all this noise and activity. And then, you know, 30 miles away, it's just totally serene. It's just the sound of birds and it's a, a cloud forest. It's like these alien plants. And then, I mean, I guess I just want to get into like the whole water thing there. It's like they, they talk about it. We talk about it in the film. They, they don't have snow peaks. They have plants that capture moisture from the air and then naturally filter it. And that's how they get all this water. It's, it's incredible. But then to ride through it, it's like you feel the water in the air. You know, it's like once sunset hits and that's six o'clock every night because uh, it's at the equator, um, the, the fog rolls in and then you just feel it on your skin. And you're like, okay, that's basically what the plants are doing. They're just trapping this water. Uh, and then that's what, uh, that's what fuels the city. You know, it's just so cool. Yeah. It was, it's fascinating to see. I mean, it's a place that, you know, I think 
you know, I've spoken with Joe Cruz before that, you know, the bike is like the perfect place to actually fully embrace and like absorb where you are and that connection with everything. Totally. Well, and you said this was your first time to South America. How did you find it as a whole? I mean, going, you know, straight to Bogota, which is a huge city, but seeing so many people on bikes, you know, from people commuting to kids. And I was shown this cyclovia, which is an incredible concept where is it one or two days a week, the city or some of the main roads are closed down for just bikes. Did you get to experience that before or after the trip? Yeah. I mean, this is so cool. So that's, that's it. The cyclovia every Sunday from 7 a.m. to 2 p.m., they close something like 80 miles of main streets. And these are like like the biggest, busiest downtown streets. Uh, and they're close to vehicle traffic, only open to cyclists and pedestrians. And then, you know, bikers and walkers just take over the streets. I had no idea this was going on before we went down there. And then, you know, immediately you land and then people are like, oh, you're doing a bike thing. You have to check out the Ciclovia. And then we we go out there and every Sunday it's happening and find out that this has been going on since 1974. And it's just like to see so many people from so many different backgrounds on bikes all together is just kind of this amazing feeling. And then we were down there and a guy we made friends with said, well, I'm friends with the guy that that started this whole movement. And do you want to meet him? We were like, absolutely. So we got to meet him and then we interviewed him for the film. And and he's so cool. He's not like a, he's passionate about bikes because of uh, like the power it gives people to be like self-sustainable and just to ride around town and to take over the space that cars would be. He's not like a cyclist for the sport of it. And then that's just such a great reminder that like the bike is, you know, a vehicle for kind of anything you want it to be. You know, it could be like riding around with your friends. It could be getting to work, but then it could also be like climbing into the mountains. And then basically you could use that same vehicle, you know, to go across town as, as you could to leave town. And then, you know, the next step for us really is to like, then think, well, I have this bike, I'm in this city, this route goes this direction. Maybe I should just start checking it out. You know, and I love that they're already like such, it's already such a strong cycling place that going bikepacking isn't that big of a leap. You know, it's like what a place to make a route. It's like millions of people could, could do it uh, conceivably. Yeah. And what was the reception from, from the locals? I mean, there's a couple of scenes where you guys are interacting with, with locals, either, you know, one time you're just out in the middle of nowhere and it looks like a family walks up to you. I mean, were you pretty well, you know, welcome to, you know, I'm sure they love seeing people on bikes. Was that a good experience? Oh, absolutely. Both like in the kind of the farmlands, but then also in the city and people are just so excited. They're, they're like getting more into adventure riding and gravel riding. They haven't, there are only a few people I've seen really putting like camping gear on their bikes and taking them out. But those people are so passionate to try to kind of start this culture in their own city. And then out, you know, out in kind of the agricultural areas or the farmlands, like they, a lot of those people use bikes for transportation. So they're used to that. And then they are also just so excited to have visitors. I mean, these are part of the stories we go through an area that was kind of a communist guerrilla stronghold really in the nineties. And it's at this point really just opening to tourism. And for so long, people said, you know, this isn't a safe place to go. You know, you'll get kidnapped. And since they've had peace agreements, these places are opening up. But, you know, these towns just haven't had anybody come. So, I mean, we went into one place and they had a restaurant. So we had breakfast and a guy came over and just thanked us so much for visiting their town and uh, how much it meant to them just because they've come from such a hard place. And, you know, and then that's another thing. It's like you can kind of 
connect these places back to the city and show that there is a safe route to take and that people should ride there and should kind of see places that were maybe off limits in the past. So that was, I mean, really just incredible to see as like a, as the bike is like a link to kind of a a land that was lost you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, what do you see the impact of, of, you know, obviously there, there was a lot of work that went into planning this, this route, you know, from mapping before you even went to actually getting there, finding roads that, you know, maybe weren't roads or closed or, you know, Joe Crew sending you up some crazy little hills and whatnot. You know, it's 420 K 9,600 meters of climbing. So it's, it's challenging, but do you feel like this is something that, you know, people will make a destination as something they want to tick off their list of they want to go to Columbia and here's all of a sudden a bike pack trip they can do? Or do you see it more as people within Columbia or Bogota realizing like, hey, this is a new way to ride a bike that's, you know, it's not road cycling. It's maybe not. I do see it as as both. I mean, I definitely want to encourage locals just to go out and ride it. But then it's also like, well, I wouldn't have seen this if I hadn't come from afar. So I'm like, really kind of anybody that wants to ride that, then they should. And then I love the idea of like different bike packers kind of interacting on the route or having experiences with, with farmers along the way, you know, we are like kind of a long-term goal is, uh, some of these areas that are more remote, like encouraging farmers to set up a little camping area or provide a few resources for cyclists so that there's an, there's an exchange there as well, both to provide them a source of income, but also for the riders to kind of learn about the land and vice versa. And then, you know, when we were there in, uh, January and February, I think we got there mid-January. As setting this up, I was like, well, what I want to do next spring is have a group start and invite like, you know, anybody that really wants to, to start in town together and not as a race, but more as a tour to kind of generate excitement for the route is begin together, go your own pace, camp where you want to, and kind of be on the route at the same time. And then of course, you know, right after that, uh, COVID-19 happened and everything kind of got shut down, but it's still something that I'd like to make happen. And some friends that live locally in Bogota now are excited to kind of organize this together. Uh, So that's something I'd like to do in the future. Uh, Something I did on another route I established in Mexico called the Baja Divide. And it's, it was just such a cool experience to encourage people to be out there together and kind of share their stories. And then, you know, and then the next wave of riders come because they've heard about how much fun it was to be there and kind of what it's like taking pictures and sharing that too. So I would like to just kind of open it up for anybody that's interested in, in this place or, or people that live there. I mean, really the biggest challenge is, is just that it's an incredible amount of climbing and it's so steep. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, (laughs) it does look incredibly steep and, you know, making sure you pack light enough, but as, uh, we saw there's a lot of climbing and you're going to need some rain gear as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pack light and have, I mean, I had like a 30 tooth chain ring with an Eagle cassette, you know, I'm wow. <laughs> like at that point I'm going like basically like riding like two miles an hour. Goodness. It's just like crawling, you know, I mean, you're at some point you're like, well, I could just be walking, but you know, as a cyclist, you don't want to get off and walk. Yeah. You just want to like keep trying, but yeah. that's like, I feel like there were so many moments of that. And then even on our tour scouting, I mean, a lot of the days we were riding like 25 miles and then just like totally toasted. 
And I'm like, you look at that and even like the amount of climbing doesn't look that high, but it's just steep pitch after steep pitch. And as soon as you go up, you go straight down and you're like, oh man, this is just like mentally and physically exhausting. But that's part of it. Well, and you're at altitude as well. Yeah. So Bogota's at 8,800 feet and the route I think went up to like 12,000 or maybe just under 13,000. Wow. So it's pretty high. Good. Yeah, that definitely adds to it too. So for, I mean, one of the questions I actually have about like kind of the logistics of the trip is you do need a permit to enter the Chingaza National Park. Is that something that is easily attained if someone were to want to go do this trip? Yeah, that's that was actually like kind of an additional, I guess, challenge that we kind of added to the trip. So at this point, cycling is actually not permitted through the park, but they are working on a set plan. Park officials we met with are working on like a set plan for permitting through the park. And then the initial plan was to have it open this, I think, October. We wanted to have it open with the release of the film and the release of the route. And then with COVID, everything's gotten delayed, but we do expect to see that opening in the next year. So that was an added I guess, benefit because it's the park isn't open and it's just this incredible terrain and local cyclists were just so excited to hear that we were even kind of took on that challenge of working with park officials and, and they're actually, they have like so much energy to, to open it because, uh, you know, they see cyclists coming through as like exactly the people that they want to experience this place. You're, bikepackers specifically, you're self-sufficient, you're there to kind of be gentle with the land to not leave a big impact. But they their concerns in the past, it used to be open and their big concern was that I think a few riders got lost. You know, as I was talking about that heavy fog rolling in, it was like you lose visibility and riders got lost and they had to be rescued from the park. So they were like, well, we don't think it's safe for cyclists, but we have to make a better plan so that we can invite them back. So that's like a, a big dream is to to open it and then people can ride through and, and really they get to experience their own land. At this point, though, they are giving permits to groups in vehicles and I think on foot. So it's not too far stretched to include bikes. They just want to have a, a good plan for it. Okay. Well, that, that's cool to see that you guys have been able to like instigate so much change and kind of open that up to to bikes. And so that the, the I guess the ecosystem that is up there in this park, they're called Paramos. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When I, when I was doing some research for this, I noticed that on Wikipedia, how much you trust Wikipedia, that they're essentially an alpine tundra, which, you know, you are currently in Alaska. You're from Alaska. Did you have mm-hmm. any sort of resemblance of what the tundra is like in Alaska? I mean, obviously you're close to the equator, so it's, you know, it's warmer, it's very different, but just the the feeling of what the landscape looks like? I mean, yeah, in the way that, you know, it's kind of like when you get above treeline, like how uh, views open up. And it feels almost like kind of stark, kind of scary to be up there because you're so exposed. I guess that's like the similarity because you go down a couple thousand feet in Colombia and then it's like kind of a lush, almost jungle feeling where there's like water trickling and ferns and vines. And then, you know, you go up a couple thousand feet in and it's just wide open. And so that's that's the the similarity, but it's definitely a lot more humid than Alaska. Yeah. So <laughs> you're like feeling that air. Yeah. But um, I I feel like that's the 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 riding that I like best is getting above tree line. 
you know, and I didn't really like connect to that until I started like noticing the similar, like kind of feeling I get of just like wide open landscape, like in Colombia, in Kyrgyzstan, in Alaska. And that's kind of when you don't see trees anymore. And then you can just see for, you know, you could see like a hundred miles ahead of you. And that's, it's just a special feeling to ride there, but also like a little bit scary because you're like, well, a storm could just come in and there's nowhere for me to go. Yeah. Yeah. There's no no cover. But then, I mean, the amazing thing is like tree line in Alaska is like a thousand feet. In Colombia, it's 10,000. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, it's, so then you're like, well, I can't breathe. Like, it's because you're like, there's no oxygen. Because I'm used to like being almost at sea level and, and seeing like that. You know, it's just, it's amazing how, how different the world can be when you're that far apart. Yeah, it's their world's away. Well, and does... Does doing a ride like this on a project that's around conservation, does that, has that changed or impacted your view looking at, you know, Alaska like specifically, but other places you've read in to try to associate more kind of environmental conservation projects with cycling and bikepacking? I guess the thing I liked the most with this project was like recognizing the work that that Conservation International actually does. And it's so much about working with the people that already live there. And then just like, for this project specifically is making sure that, you know, farming practices or locals, like how they live, keeps the water clean. And then how it's like, a, you know, they're not coming in and saying this land, don't use this land or act this way. It's more this like interaction to, to keep this place and the people like safe and happy and then preserve what they already have. And I like that idea that it's not just like, here's land that we need to protect. Nobody can go there. You know, like we have this concept of wilderness in in the U.S. that is incredible. It's incredible to visit these places, but you almost feel like you're a trespasser as a human going there. And then you realize like, well, a lot of, of protecting land is actually working with the people that are there to, to make the best choices. And then also like recognizing the needs that they have and then um, being there to help them with that, you know, and I feel like that's a lot what Conservation International does. And, and then I guess, you know, for me, what I liked was like kind of learning how complex this can be and how sensitive you really have to be to do a good job. And I feel like CI is doing an amazing job. You know, they're, they have local, groups like that, that are so passionate about this land working there that know the locals that are from the region. And I feel like ground up, they're doing such a great job, you know? And then, I mean, even my role in this project was just to bring more exposure to the story. And so more people will watch it, more people will ride it, more people will be excited about it. And I'm like, if I can keep doing that, keep like sharing positive stories about things that are happening around the world in bikepacking, I'm like, that's, that I, there couldn't be something I felt better about doing, you know, and it doesn't always have to be racing. It doesn't always have to be winning. It can just be traveling and exploring and encouraging other people to do that too. And then of course you can ride as fast or as slow as you want to, you know, it's like you have this kind of open freedom to, to take on a route in any way you see fit. Yeah. It's like the best of the best of both worlds. And while you were down there, you actually did get to do both. So you, when you flew down, you did the, you did a scouting trip and how long did that actually take the first, the first trip around the the loop? Yeah, we, um, we broke it into two different trips. And I think the first time we were out, we actually went a bit farther North to scout some land there. I think we were out for 
maybe 10 days or so, maybe 12 days. And then the second time through, we spent another week um, riding this loop. So we kind of passed over parts of it twice just to make the best connections we could. So what would you say that it would take the average bike packer to, to do this at a very enjoyable, like, you know, you're stopping getting good food in, in towns and meeting people with that. Would you say like the week to 10 day range if someone was planning this trip out? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A week to 10 days. And, you know, then that gives you the ability to maybe take a day off in there at a place you really like, but as a solid week of, of good riding. Well, and then to kind of show your pedigree, you went for the fastest known time once, uh, once you had the loop memorized, how did, how did that go? Oh yeah. I mean, I even had this idea from before we traveled there, it was like, well, okay, so we'll establish this route. And then afterward, I'm just going to ride it as fast as I can and see how that goes. Cause that's always like basically any route I have this, like you look at a route and you're like, wow, that looks beautiful. And then, and then, you know, the next step is like, well, how fast could somebody ride it? Like, what could you do? And even if it's a route that's like, this one is 262 miles, it could be a thousand miles. Like, cause then you start imagining like, what's going to stop me along the way? What am I going to see? You know? And then, I mean, it, it makes it competitive, right? Cause you're like, okay, I'll set a time and then somebody else will come break the time. And then maybe I'll come back or maybe somebody else will do it. So I had that plan. And then I was like, at the end of the trip, I'll do this effort. And then we had to actually postpone the ride for, I think five days. Cause there was like some demonstration or a strike. And so then I'm just, you know, change our plane tickets. And then we're sitting there. I'm like, I just, you know, I just wanted to go ride it so bad. And I got to, and I started my ride at, I think one in the morning, just about because, you know, I had to get through Chingaza National Park in daylight hours. And I had two guys I was, became good friends with down there. And then two other guys I didn't know at all came and met me to start the ride together. So we all set out in the dark. It was so cool. I mean, just to have that just riding in the dark with just a few people. It's so quiet. And the start of the route is in National Park in Bogota. And, you know, two days before had been the tour of Colombia. And it had, this was the final stage went up this climb. So we had been there like watching this event with like thousands of people around. And then I'm back just riding it with like two people that are, or four people that are just going to peel off a few miles later. And I was like, this is, it felt like the right start to an adventure. I knew it was going to be hard, but I was like, he, I, I had brought, I brought a sleeping bag because I was like, well, it's dark for 12 hours. If I get tired, then I can stop and sleep. But while I was riding, I was like, you know what? I feel great. I'm just going to go for it. And I didn't really stop except to, to get food and water along the way. And I did get a puncture and that's about it. Everything else went great. Wow. Uh, I, but I love that time out there. You know, I was riding the route for uh, just over 39 hours and it's like, you know, 39 hours, it's not even a full two days, but I, it feels like a month, you know, on a ride like that. Like everything you get to see and experience and feel along the way and think about really. So I don't know. Yeah, it's physically and mentally demanding, but I don't think I'll ever lose that excitement to just want to take take on a challenge like that. Well, it's so cool that you can do it in you said, you know, take a week and do it, or you can do it in 39 hours. And it's, while it's the same, same route, same roads, but it's a very, probably a very different experience doing it at that pace versus slowing down. And it's, 
it's that contrast between the two that probably makes it so beautiful. Oh yeah. And I mean, the fast, you know, the fast ride, you're like, okay, I'm out there for all hours. So you experience like all of the weather for that duration. You know, it's like the, I, that's something I love about it. It's like, you don't miss a minute, you know, but then if I had done it two days later, I could have had a totally different experience. And then just thinking about how special that time is, but it's definitely, I mean, versus touring, touring so much more social, you're riding with friends, you're picking places to camp, you're stopping and talking to people, you know, you sit down for good meals and, and that's so fun too, because it's like this kind of almost like a moving party. And I love that. And then you have like, it's more of like this group mentality of challenges along the way and you deal with them and, and you kind of like, and surprises, you know, like a local comes and invites you into their home or you meet little kids along the way and stop to play a soccer game or, you know, anything like that too. It's like life on the bike. So I, you know, it's like, I'd never want to give up either of those. And then also, I mean, the touring is just such great training for an actual event. I'd love to see you go ride it, Ian, both fast and slow. (laughs) Take the time, check it out, enjoy and then go for it. You know, and then see, it's like, how fast could you ride it? You know, I mean, I'd love to see that, you know, I I just think it'd be amazing. Well, I was going to ask you, has anyone else gone for the the FKT since, since you did it? No, I mean, and unfortunately, but with COVID, you know, a lot of things are, are closed down there. Yeah. Uh, so it's, yeah, I mean, as with everything else, it's kind of a waiting game for that, but the best part is it'll still be there. So, you know, it's like, this isn't time sensitive. It's like, yeah, maybe I really want people to be on the route now, but it's like, okay, well, what about next year? What about the year after? And that's, you know, part of it was we wanted to make it so special that it's going to live for a long time and have its own kind of history. Well, I will add it to my my bucket list because I've, uh, yeah, raced with quite a few Colombian riders over the years and they have wonderful things to say about their country. And it's a place that I've always wanted to go visit and especially visit by bike. So I'll add that to my bucket list of things to do. Oh, yeah. Well, in closing, I want to ask you, is there anything else you want to share about about the film or the adventure or the trip and anything that's coming up next in your life? Yeah, I'm just so excited to, to share this story, both the route and the film. I mean, my brother made original music for it. A local set us up with a requinto player that plays the guitar to make music for this. I mean, it's like so many people... Gave, put so much effort into making this happen, establishing the route, welcoming us in, letting us share the story. So I'm just, I'm just like blown away with how it all came together. And I really want to thank Rue for all the hard work she put into this. And, you know, it's a complicated story, but it's so exciting on so many different levels. And then coming up for us, we're actually flying to California on Friday is the plan to do a, um, a project in the Sierras with Wahoo as well. And, you know, it's like so many things have been canceled this summer that I've just endlessly, I've hoped that this will come together. And if not now, then we'll do it later, but that's our next step. And, and spending the winter in Tucson, Arizona, um, basically chasing the sun. Perfect. We're losing it in the last day. <laughs> yeah. It's, short days are, are on their way. Well, Lael, it was a beautiful film. Thank you for taking the time. And uh, I'll finish it off with a little quote that I took from the film. And it is, ride fast, ride slow. The only wrong way to do it is to not do it at all. And that was, uh, yeah, the perfect way to, to finish up that film. And thank you so much for your time today. Hey, thanks so much, Ian. Thanks, Lael. Well, there we have it. Another episode of Breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo. If you have not yet seen it, head over to Wahoo's YouTube channel and check out the new film, Ruta. Chingaza, it is sure to inspire you. 
As Lael said, I should get down to Colombia. I would love to. I have never been to South America, one of the few continents I have not touched. So maybe I will put that on my books for an event and a trip in the future. I'm not sure if I could beat Lael's time of 39 hours. It seems like an awful lot of climbing, but Lael is one of the best there is when it comes to bikepacking. So I hope you all enjoyed my show today. I will be back next week in a conversation with my neighbor, a young up-and-coming female rider who is getting into gravel. We're going to be running through a fitness test to assess where she's at and where she's going to go next year and how she can prepare over the winter. So stay tuned. I'll be back here next week on Breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo.